Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We appreciate you tuning in again this week as we look into the Word of God. Our hope and prayer is that you're being edified and helped by these Bible lessons each week. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it's a privilege to have an open Bible before me and another opportunity to expound the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, we put a great deal of emphasis on the program. We put a great deal of emphasis on the Word of God because faith cometh by hearing. Jesus Christ prayed and said, Sanctify them to thy truth, thy word is truth. God magnifies his words above his own name. You'll see that and find that uh, in Psalm 138, verse 2. And so we put a great deal of emphasis on the Bible because God speaks through this book. Too many people are looking for wild circumstances, crazy feelings, um, visions and voices. And the truth of the matter is, we need to lay our ear down on this book and listen for the voice of God. I believe with all my heart that this book is the voice of God in print. If you want to hear the voice of your shepherd, you will hear it in that still small voice speaking to you through the pages of this blessed old book. And if there was ever a time that we needed to be hearing from God, that time is now. Uh, If you've noticed over the last few months in your country here, our country, <coughs> excuse me, we've had quite a few conflicting voices. Therefore, the confusion has increased day by day. Why do the heathen rage and the uh, people imagine a vain thing? And so we have much confusion. We have chaos. We have concern. We have uh, despair. Uh, the devil is uh, said when he sends his Superman to manifest in the flesh, the man of sin, the son of perdition, also known to the prophecy experts as the Antichrist. It says that he wears out the saints. He will wear out the saints. Well, you know what? He's getting a little practice in right now because uh, never have I seen the saints as worn out as they seem to be in some aspects. Not everybody, but many, many folks are saying, well, what, what's going on? What do we do? Well, let me just encourage you to tune out all the voices that are vexing your spirit right now and focus in on the voice that will lead you to higher ground. Jesus Christ says, my sheep uh, hear my voice. And so do you hear his voice? Well, if you're going to hear his voice, you're going to have to listen intently as the noise of the world increases. You will have to focus on his voice specifically. So let me encourage you to stay in your Bible. And this week, I'd like to give you two points, just two simple truths out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn with me in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to show you a description, and then I want you to show you the directions. You know, if you get in a, a, a dangerous place, maybe if you've ever been in a building and the lights all went out, or maybe the smoke alarm is going off, the fire alarm has, is going off and the lights are out and people are running in different directions. Uh, you don't, you're kind of frozen in, in place there. You don't know where to go, what to do. But if you hear a calm, confident voice of an old friend, uh, like the Lord Jesus Christ, the friend that sticketh closer than a brother who reaches out and says, here, take me by the hand and I'll guide you through the dark. That brings a certain amount of comfort and calm and confidence to your spirit even though everyone else is panicked, everyone else is, uh, it's chaos and confusion and noise, that calm voice that we all know will give us what we need if they know how to lead you out of there. And so let me show you some things this morning or today, whenever you're listening to this program, out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
that may help you at this point. I first of all want to show you that God is never taken off guard. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Look what the Bible says. This know also. Let me just say this, that uh, Christianity is a no-so proposition. It's a, uh, the Christian is given some knowledge that he can know some things that the world doesn't believe you can know. You can know that you are saved. You can know where you're going when you die. You can know what happens at death. You can know a lot of things because the Bible opens up to us the truth and it shows us things about eternity that the natural man cannot see because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them for they are spiritually discerned. You see, the natural man is the once born man. He's the man that's only had a physical birth. All he understands is the, is the natural. All he can go by is his natural senses, what he sees, what he hears, what he feels. But you see, Christian friend, we're not in that realm any longer. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness, that kingdom of just the natural man. And we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son, into the kingdom of God. We know things about eternity and about the spiritual world that are very real to us because we've been, quote, born again. We have the spirit of God living in us. Therefore, Christians have an advantage over the natural man because we don't go by just what we see, hear, and feel. In fact, we have learned, if you've walked the life of faith very long at all, that you cannot trust those natural feelings, even what you hear and what you see many times. You must go to the word of God. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the word of God. Faith in the revealed will of God from the word of God. And therefore, we can see things that are invisible to the natural eye. And so the Bible tells us Christians, Paul is writing to a pastor here and certainly writing to Christians. He says, this know also. So here's something else that we can know. God says that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now, perilous, the word perilous simply means hazardous, risky, or dangerous. And this was prophesied. This is prophecy, something that shall come, Paul says. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Well, my friend, they have arrived. Now, let me just remind you Bible students of something. We are reading what is known as a pastoral epistle. These are uh, books that were written to a pastor and certainly instructive to all Christians and born-again believers. But these passages have nothing to do with the a future time, the future week of years known as the time of Jacob's trouble, often referred to as the Great Tribulation. Uh, these are talking about the days that we're living in. It's the end of the church age. We're coming down to the end of this age since the resurrection of Jesus Christ we are looking for the soon return and catching away of the body of Christ by the Redeemer himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, you should be because he's coming soon. Look up for your redemption draweth nigh. And the perilous times that Paul prophesied of that would begin to manifest themselves in the last days, friend, they have arrived. They are here. And so this should comfort us because it shows us that God knew this was coming all along. And sometimes uh, we talk as though we don't believe the Bible. I have found myself over the last few months saying, I can't believe, and then 
finish the sentence with whatever it is that's going on, uh, whether it's in politics or in uh, the lawlessness that has broken loose or in, in the, the un, ungodly uh, fear that has been uh, foisted upon us through the propaganda of news media outlets and all of these things. And I find myself saying, I just can't believe that. And finally, I realized the Lord said, son, why can't you believe these things? What are you in shock about? Of all people, a preacher of the gospel that has a King James Bible, you didn't know that things were going to get like this, that things were going to start heading down. Listen, I'm not complaining. Uh, we still got it good in America and say amen right there. But what I am saying is this, that as we see things changing so rapidly and things showing up that if you see with the spiritual eye of the word of God, you could see some things being put into place. And rather than saying, I can't believe we ought to say, I knew it was coming and it's here. And so here's the blessing is God is not taken by surprise. In fact, you know what God says? He says one of the great ways that you can detect that he's the one doing the talking. One of the great things you can check to see is this, uh, this Bible from God or not is the fact that God said this. He says, I am God. There is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Isaiah 46 verse 9 and in verse 10 he says this. Here's what the God, he says, there's none like me. Then he says this. Here's what he does. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. So in other words, God says, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before, way before it ever happens. And so here we have prophecy of how things will get at the end of the church age, right before Jesus Christ comes down in the clouds to catch his bride away. And you say, what is it? Well, let's look back in 2 Timothy 1. Look at it again with me. Let's read some of the descriptions today and see if God doesn't know exactly what he's talking about. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Here's some of the qualities. For men shall be lovers of their own selfies. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't quite read that right. It says men shall be lovers of their own selves. Friend, the description we're about to get of mankind. Someone will say, well, men have always been this way. Yes, since the fall of man in Genesis 3, man has made manifest these qualities. But here's the thing that God is showing us. In the last days, it will get perilous because these qualities will become commonplace. Commonplace. In other words, these things will become the standard and the outstanding characteristic of the general populace. In other words, this will be manifest on every street corner in every place. These are the things that will become commonplace and the characteristic of society in general as a whole. So you tell me if these times and these days have not arrived. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Never have you known a more selfish generation. That's why there's such socialistic tendencies. You know what socialism is? It is nothing more than a, an expression, an open expression of the love of self and the hatred of God. You say, why would you say that? Because men want someone to give them their living and make them comfortable while they grace the earth with their presence. And they want to get rid of God, so they do not look to God for their help, but rather they replace God with uh, the God of the Bible with their, a God of their own making, namely the government. And they say, if we would just listen to me, we could all have it made. Really what they're interested in 
They're not interested in the poor. They're not interested in helping humanity. They're interested in helping themselves. They're lovers of their own selves. And that's what socialism is rooted in. Then it says covetous. That's people that desire more for themselves. This sin is one of, uh, that is very hard to detect even in yourself. Uh, very often covetousness hides in the heart. You say, why? Well, if you study the law of God, expressed in the Ten Commandments, you can find that the first nine commandments of the law are all things that you can uh, find or catch someone doing outwardly. But the Tenth Commandment of the law is thou shall not covet. It has to do with desiring things, lusting for things that are not yours, that you do not possess. And you know what? That one is something that is very difficult to prove and to catch. I can catch you lying. I can catch you in a lie. I can catch you stealing from me. I can catch you killing or murdering someone. I can hear you disrespect your parents. I can uh, identify when you've created a God of your own making. I can catch you in almost every sin, but the sin of covetousness is an inward sin. And friend, it manifests itself in the kind of society that you see all around you today here in America. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous. Then it says boasters, proud. Proud people love to boast. Boasters. You know what they do? They brag. Boasters brag. That's why men thank God that salvation is the gift of God and salvation is of the Lord. Man has no hand in it. You cannot add to or take away from what Jesus Christ has done for this world of sinners. And therefore the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you know what men boast on? They boast on their own doings, on their own works, and on their own life. Nowadays, we have people boasting about their sin. It used to be people would boast about their possessions, and they still do that. But now men get in the streets, and they talk about gay parades. Well, I don't mind going to a gay parade. The word gay means joyous. Uh, excited, happy, colorful. I love colorful, happy, uh, joyous parades. But what you really mean is when the perverts get in the streets to have their parades. That's what you're talking about. And men get out and they hold signs, I'm proud that I'm a homosexual, uh, gay pride. You mean you're going to boast? You're going to be proud about your rebellion against God? You say, well, you're a sinner too. You don't have any right to judge. Listen, I don't get out in the streets and brag about my sin. I'm ashamed of my sin. In fact, when you get saved, that's one of the first signs that you've been saved and you've passed from death to life. You become, quote, ashamed of the things that you used to do, Romans 6, 20 and 21. I was recently traveling down the road and I don't even remember what triggered a thought, but I thought of something I had done and said some 30 years ago. It hadn't even crossed my mind. And the devil or whatever it was brought it back to memory. And I thought, my goodness, I'm ashamed of that. And I felt ashamed. A shame just washed over my mind and heart. And I, I didn't bow my head because I was driving, amen. But I said, Lord God, you see all of that. You remember all of that. I've forgotten uh, more sins than I've ever confessed. And listen, I told the Lord, I'm ashamed of that. Well, what makes me ashamed? The Holy Ghost that lives and resides in my heart makes me ashamed. Men in the last days, the perilous times that were prophesied, God describes them. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, it says. And when we talk about blasphemers, we're not talking about uh, the typical blasphemy that you hear on a job site. 
But no, we got people in movies and on television, men like Bill Maher, who come on mocking the Bible and cussing God, uh, filthy comedians like Penn and Teller who spend uh, half an hour on their broadcast 10 years ago uh, showing the, quote, contradictions in the Bible like they found something new. By the way, everybody that shows you about the, quote, con- contradictions in the Bible, they're only regurgitating what someone else wrote 75 years before. This thing goes around. Listen, all those contradictions that they're showing you like it's some kind of new thing that they're going to suddenly prove the Bible wrong. Listen, if you'll go back through history, you'll find that about every 75 to 100 years, somebody um, regurgitates those same contradictions. Some Christian writes a book that shows that uh, and refutes all of these things, and they just keep coming up thinking that they're on the cutting edge. There's nothing new under the sun. We've heard all of these arguments before. People wrote about them 200 years ago, 100 years ago. Nothing new under the sun. Men just uh, hate God by by nature, and therefore they can't stand the book that tells all the truth about them. But listen, blasphemers shall be open and outward in their uh, blasphemous comments and attack on Jesus Christ and the word of God. Then it says disobedient to parents. If you don't think that that's getting to an all time high, just go over and stand, uh, uh, in one of the aisles or close to the checkout line over in Walmart. Amen. And amen. I mean, nowadays parents are more afraid of their children than the children are afraid of their parents. You say, well, they're not supposed to be afraid. Uh, let me tell you, I was afraid of my dad. I was afraid of his discipline, but never one time was I, uh, afraid that he didn't love me. In fact, the truth of the matter is I've talked to kids who became rebels and prodigals, as we call them, and when they got in their teenage years. And you know what they all said? One girl who went to a girl's home, uh, she testified once to me. She said, my dad didn't care. She goes, I purposely did things hoping that he would show that he loved me by correcting me. She said, I would walk out in front of him. She goes, with the most whorish outfits on that a young girl could wear, mini skirts and everything showing. And she said, I'd say, Dad, how do I look? And he'd say, looks fine to me. And she said, I'd go out frustrated. She goes, I was so in hopes that he would say, no, no daughter of mine is walking out like that. Amen. You're going to go put some clothes on. Now, you know what? That's, that's, uh, you don't understand that if you think like the world. But that girl was starving for her dad to say, I love you too much to allow you to do that. Have you ever considered that? Listen, the Bible talks about in the perilous times that are to come that have arrived, there will be disobedience to parents. Parents are afraid of their children and kids are all the time saying, you whip me one more time and I'll call social services. I would have loved to have seen my dad's face and what his look would have been like if I had told him, dad, you whip me one more time and I'm calling social services. Whatever his face looked like would have been the last thing I saw before I woke up on the living room floor. Amen and amen. Some of you are struggling a little bit with today's lesson. Let's move on. It says unthankful, unholy. Boy, unthankfulness, that marks us. Hey, I'll point the gun at myself right here, the scriptural gun. Unthankful, how can we sit around complaining about anything when we have running water, when we have food to eat? Amen. I'm talking about we're in a country that's blessed, unthankful, unholy. It says without natural affection. Boy, I could camp out right there for a while. You say, what's uh, without natural affection? Well, you know something? You're living in a society that's without natural affection when people are more concerned about dogs that are adopted out of the local animal shelter and they go around doing, quote, wellness checks on the dogs while they abort babies, amen, and dismember uh babies up in Louisville at the abortion clinic. 
Friend, that's called without natural affection. How am I doing right here? Without natural affection. Friend, we've lost uh, natural affection uh, for the things that we're supposed to have. It's not natural uh, to uh, accept the idea of murdering and slaughtering babies wholesale. That's not natural. It's not natural to care more about dogs and cats than we do about uh, unborn babies. That's not natural. That's without natural affection. You can write me nasty emails. You can turn the radio off. I'm still telling the truth as it is right here in the word of God. Then it goes on to say truce breakers, false accusers. Amen. Uh, They're falsely accusing people. Now, if you're a patriot, they'll accuse you of being some kind of a racist. False accusers, good men from our past, amen, that are being maligned. Uh, Amen. Good men. False accusers, people being falsely accused. You're never more like your adversary, the devil, than when you accuse people falsely. He is the accuser of the brethren. False accusers, it says. They can't be trusted, and they'll uh, falsely accuse you. Recently, I had my boys over at the Battlefield Park in Perryville. I've got a 7- and 8-year-old boy that enjoy uh, me telling them stories about Civil War generals, and I personally... Uh, I, I read about the Civil War. I enjoy reading about the war between the states, or as some would call it, the War of Northern Aggression. That's a very interesting time in American history. And I read about the Northern generals, and I read about the Southern generals. But I'm just going to tell you, amen, I prefer many of the Southern generals because of the great Christian character and fighting military ability they had. You say, you're a racist. No, you're a false accuser. Amen. And you don't know what you're talking about. But I had my boys over there here a couple of months ago, even before all of this uh, George Floyd stuff started at the end of May here in 2020. And I had my boys over at the Civil War Battlefield Park and they were dressed up as a couple of Confederate soldiers and they had a Confederate flag. And do you know, I had a woman come out who drove out of there and rolled her window down and uh, said, uh, called my family a bunch of haters and then spun out of there. You know what that is? She's a false accuser. Uh, I don't have to defend myself against that. I don't have to. Uh, there's uh, the only person that had hate was the one who was spewing her venom out of her car. You know what her problem was? She sits around watching the news media uh, too much, watching too much CNN. That'll that'll do that to you. You'll accuse a, a happy family that's functioning the way God intended it to function with the husband, a wife, and obedient kids and a couple of dogs. You'll come past and holler out the na- uh, holler out the side of your window as you drive out of the park. Haters. I don't know if she understood she was standing in a Civil War park where a battle had been fought. Both the American and the First National Confederate flag fly on those grounds. Get over it. It happened. Amen. And uh, if you're going to call somebody names like that without any kind of proof or evidence other than your own prejudice and your own politically correct and neutered view of history and of the current trends in America, then uh, you're the one with the problem, not me. We're getting down. We're talking about perilous times, truce breakers, false accusers, God says, incontinent, fierce. That's people that cannot be uh, uh, approached. They cannot be appeased. They're implacable. They won't accept an apology. They won't reason with you. They're incontinent. They're fierce. Then it says despisers of those that are good. The Bible tells me that I'm supposed to be a, quote, lover of good men. I'm supposed to appreciate good preachers and, and good Christian people that, that uh, stand for God and for the Bible and for the Lord Jesus Christ. What about you? You know what, what's amazing to me? Uh, some of you Christians are so quick to insult and run down preachers. You got to quit that. Uh, you may uh, disagree with me on some point or whatever it is. That's fine. 
But the problem you get into, if you're not careful, you begin to despise good men. You say, what are good men? The ones that God calls good men. Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith. The best men you're ever going to meet is born-again Christians in local churches. Amen. Despisers of those that are good. It says traitors, heady, high-minded. Listen, we don't have time today to get into all of these things, but I'm showing you a picture that this has manifested itself in ways that you would have never dreamed a year ago or five years ago. And God has it nailed down. He says, traitors, heady, high-minded. Then he says, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Oh, that's us today. I mean, the churches, they have mega churches from coast to coast. And righteousness is, is, is at an all-time low. So you know what these people are? They have a form of godliness. They pack out the church pew and they soothe their conscience. And they'll let you know right away that they're not an atheist. But listen, the reality of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is lost to them and they live their lives and they love pleasures more than they love God, but they love having a form of godliness, but their life is a complete denial of the faith. It says that they have a, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now look down at verse 13 and we'll close it out today. I'm just showing you that God knew this was coming. Why are we acting like we're shocked and surprised? Amen. The perilous times have arrived. The end of the church age is at hand. And we're going to see this. Is it going to get any better, Brother Alltop? Uh, let me tell you, it's going to get worse and worse. Look at verse 13. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You say, man, that's, that's a bummer, man. That, that's gloom and doom, preacher. No, no. You see, it gets worse and worse until the Prince of Peace shows up. And when you see it, waxing worse and worse. You know what that means? Jesus Christ is at the doors. Look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Now that's the description, but let me close and give you what I want to close with here in verse 14. God now gives us some directions. What are we supposed to do as Christians? Well, I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to fix this with an election. You're not going to fix it politically. You're not going to fix it marching. You're not going to fix it there. I'll tell you how you're going to fix it. You're going to throw the lifeline of the gospel to as many people as you can and, uh, and pray and walk with God. And the th I'll tell you who's going to fix it. When our great God and King, the Lord Jesus Christ, arrives, that's when it gets fixed. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But what are we to do in the meantime while we live in this temporary place that we're at, waiting to be translated into the uh, presence of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to do? Well, God gives us a word. Verse 14, look at it with me. I'm in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, but continue thou. You know what we're supposed to do? We're not supposed to wring our hands. We're not supposed to be afraid. We're not supposed to be panicked. We're not supposed to be surprised at what we see happening. It's just going to get worse. Got good news for you. It's going to get worse. What do we do? Continue thou. Thou, that's singular. He says, continue thou. I'm talking to you, Christian friend. Continue thou in what? In the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You say, what am I supposed to continue in? Whatever it is that God has taught you. Have you learned anything as a Christian? Have you learned that Jesus Christ is faithful? Have you learned that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth? Have you learned that God is a, is, will bless the man who's not just hearing the word, but heeding the word and becoming a doer of the word? Have you found out that, uh, 
Have you learned that God will bless you and give you peace if you'll keep your mind stayed on him? Have you been assured of your salvation, the fact that you've been accepted in the beloved if you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your own Redeemer and Lord? Have you been assured of where you're going when you die, that absent from the body is present with the Lord? All of these things keep our hearts firmly anchored to the hope in Christ Jesus. Don't be shaken in mind or troubled in spirit. No, remember what you've learned from this blessed old book and continue in those things. Christian friend, tell others about Jesus. You say, well, I can't get out and talk to anybody. Nobody talks to me because they don't want to get within six feet of me. Well, write a letter, send a gospel track, make a phone call. Stay on your knees, Christian friend, pray, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known uh, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. I've learned many things and I'm going to continue in them. I'm going to stay on my knees. I'm going to stay in the book. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Eastern sky and in the clouds. And listen, I'm going to tell Every chance I have, the old, old story of the great love wherewith he has loved us, and I can't wait until I see his face. And you say, what's going to happen in the meantime? You say, where's the world going? It's going to hell. Let her go. But throw the lifeline to whoever will, and they can come and be saved. And I'm looking forward to Jesus Christ returning. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Don't be distracted. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Look unto him and he'll comfort your heart.